Welcome to the Mouthy IP Podcast, where we discuss infection prevention for the busy dental profession. The Mouthy IP Podcast is created by Nebraska ICAP, Infection Control Assessment and Promotion Program, and is funded by the Nebraska DHHS HAI team via a CDC grant. Each podcast features experts discussing current infection prevention topics and answers to questions asked by dental professionals from Nebraska. Welcome to the Mouthy IP. Always happy to have all of our listeners. Today, we have our usual guest and our usual topics, but first, let me introduce Sarah Stream as well as Kate Tyner, both from ICAP. My name is Dan German, also with ICAP. Today, our special guest is Helen Giambroni. Helen, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. This Do you want to episode... tell us a little bit about yourself, Helen, before we get Oh, sure. Let's see. I'm a disease investigator with the Douglas County Health Department, and I work in communicable disease epidemiology. So right now we're doing a lot of COVID, basically. That's what we're up to. Yes, That's shocking. Our team. I, <laughs> yeah. I can't believe you're working on COVID. Didn't know. <laughs> yes. At ICAP, we work with Helen a lot, and we um, we prefer to talk to Helen because it's <laughs> very practical advice and um, sometimes unfiltered answers to us um, personally about how to handle certain things. So we really wanted her to come on the podcast for that reason, since we wanted to have a real discussion. So well, thank thanks. you, Helen, for being here. Thanks. Glad to be here. And today our topic is, uh, we actually got this from an email. One of our listeners had sent a, uh, a link to an article where there was a dental hygienist that was fined for coming to work knowing that she had COVID. And the, the overall arching question of the, the email was, what are best practices? What, what should she have done? What should we all be doing uh, when we run into this or a similar type of situation? Yeah, it's, it was a really <laughs> interesting question and a really interesting article to read on some of the outcomes that came out of that, um, that whole situation. So we wanted to kind of give our listeners a little bit of insight on what happens when you work with public health um, you know, COVID is a reportable disease. So, um, you know, working with public health is something that should be happening with COVID in a healthcare setting. So um, I am interested to hear what Helen has to say. <laughs> well, I think, it, I mean, it's interesting. I think like in every situation you always have, you know, at the level, the basic level is like, oh, what am I required to do? But basically what are you kind of like professionally, what should you do, right? Like what is kind of like the best practice? And sometimes they're the same thing and sometimes they're not the same thing. Um, and so like in a situation like this, you may not be required to report this to the health department, right? But should you? Mm, probably, right? Like we, we, you should start picking up the phone and saying, you know, I probably should get more people on the phone Um you know, I need to be transparent here with some client, you know, some patients if they were exposed, um, that sort of thing. Because, you know, we've had this happen in different settings, not just in dental. And, you know, our big message to them was like, it, you know, it's better to come from you 
and be transparent with your clients or your patients versus, you know, most communities, like, you know, we're in Douglas County, so Omaha predominantly, most communities are small, right? You think you're in a big city, but they're small and your patients or clients probably know each other and things things can get out, right? So it's much better if it comes from, from you and you're transparent about it and you give them recommendations and you let them know you're working with the health department. It sounds very honest and like you're doing everything you can versus having them find out from like third party. And then it's kind of like, are you trying to hide something? You know, why didn't my doctor's office or dentist's office or whoever call me and say, you know, we had an exposure, then it looks like there might be some, you know, stuff that you're not really being forthcoming about an exposure. So, you know, that's kind of where the line comes up. Is it required? No, but is it best practice? Absolutely. Is it, you know, professional courtesy? Absolutely. Do your, you know, clients and patients expect some honesty from you as a provider? Absolutely. So I think one of the barriers, um, Sarah and Helen and Dan, you can see if you agree, is in the context of something like this, it's it's happening in real time, right? So you mm-hmm. might be finding out about a positive employee on the same day that you're seeing patients. And I think people's gut reaction is I'm not confident about what to do. They might have a sense of what to do, but they're not confident about it. And I think um, over the course of working with ICAP, I have consistently been impressed the local health department is always a resource, especially in the context of businesses, businesses like daycare, um, beauty shops, things like that. Mm-hmm. The local health department's your friend. These are people who are confident about the recommendations. They can find out what the right thing is to do. And so I think that that barrier, number one, what should I do? Pick up the phone and just call your local health department. If you don't have that number on file or on a magnet in your office, you should probably do that. These are your (laughs) friends. And um, I would say consistently in the time that I've been working with um, the local health departments all across Nebraska, they're not in it to get people in trouble. They're in it to help businesses be successful. They're in it to, just like you're saying, um, Helen, is to help businesses with their relationship, even to the point of kind of helping with some of the messaging about what happened, what's the next step. they're a wonderful resource. Yeah. And I think I would totally agree with everything you just said, Kate. I think another barrier is that um, a lot of people associate the local health department with licensure, Mm -hmm. right? So I'm going to call the local health department and report that this happened in my office. What is licensure going to do to us? Right. Oh, gotcha. Mm -hmm. And so Helen, um, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, the, the licensure department of the state is not the same department as the epidemiology department. Yeah. Totally, totally separate. separate. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's interesting. See, that's funny. Cause I never would have thought of that. Right. So it's like, for me that since that's not our role, I wouldn't think of that. Right. And so, you know, that, that just doesn't, I, I don't think of that as like, Oh, I'm going to pick up and call and report somebody else, you know? And I do think that, you know, I think as, you know, working in communicable disease, like Epi, like one of our primary roles is education, right? You know, and helping the community. And so, you know, we're, we have 
nothing to do with licensure. Like, you know, that's a state function. We're local. And so it's completely separate and different. Uh, We have two different objectives. You know, our goals at the local level, I mean, we live in these communities just like everybody else and we want them to stay as healthy as possible. Um, And so that, that in the end is what we want to happen. Um, And so, and so I, I guess I definitely do understand how that could be like perceived as like the next step is like, oh, if you talk about it, it's going to get bigger and there's going to be consequences, you know, like in terms of like a licensing or whatever, you know, you know, fine or something. But I kind of look at it more in an issue is sometimes I think like when you have, let's say, like say a case of COVID or something, which would be perceived as like, oh, that's a problem that we need to deal with. Sometimes when you have a problem and you just try to handle it all on your own, it just gets overwhelming and it can easily get overwhelming. And then what ends up happening is like you forget certain things that somebody who does this a lot in other scenarios can help you remember and say, you know, kind of walk back and kind of trace back with you and kind of go back and say, oh, well, that person really, you know what, they weren't even infectious when they were at work. So you're okay. Like, it's okay. They didn't expose any of the patients, you know, and sometimes you just, it helps even kind of process that and walk through that with you too. I think that's a great point, Helen. And so one of the things um, that I kind of wanted to do, like in this instance, we have this example of an article of kind of what should not have happened. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's worthwhile to just walk it through of what would be ideal, you know? Um, sure. So ideally you have, um, say you're the dentist at the facility and you have um, a hygienist or an assistant who um, we find out today, uh, oh, this person has COVID. So first thing, we wanna restrict that person from current duty, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're just positive with COVID, um, we're gonna need you not to be here. Sure. Um, we don't want our workers to get sick and we also don't wanna infect patients. So that's kind of mm-hmm. step one is restricting from duty. Um, step two is kind of, um, looking backwards, right? Like, mm-hmm. could this person have made other people sick? Um, other healthcare workers and people in chairs, right? Mm-hmm. Like our patients who come in. Um, and then that that would be the point of where if this is not what you do every day, that's a great time to pick up the phone, Yeah. right? How far back should I look? Um, mm-hmm. Does it matter if this person had symptoms or not? Um, those kind of questions, that's why bring in somebody at the expert from the local health department, bringing them into the situation can really help. And not just with COVID, right? If somebody calls you and says that I have raging diarrhea all of a sudden, and yes, I worked yesterday, Mm -hmm. right? I think Mm -hmm. we want to know that. Yeah, um, absolutely. That's the worst kind to have. (laughs) (laughs) The same, but I mean, we don't want these things to affect our patients. It's, it's not absolutely terrible for business. Well, Um, and absolutely. I mean, you joke about, but I mean, it is the time for norovirus and my goodness, like do not come to work. If you have diarrhea or vomiting, I mean, definitely stay home. You know, that should be the message for sure. Exactly. Or, um, you know, what if, uh, this assistant's calling in because their kid is sick, how do we handle Mm -hmm. that? So those are also things that like, in my previous life of being an infection preventionist at a hospital, those are things we often weighed in on. That would be another great point mm-hmm. to work with the local health department is, okay, she's got kids with pink eye or kids with hand, foot and mouth disease. Can this person work? 
Yeah. So those are all great times to bring in that communicable disease investigator. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and doesn't it also help at least uh, lessen the anxiety for the healthcare provider, knowing that, hey, here are experts in their field outlining my next steps. And maybe as a healthcare provider, I'm thinking this is a actually a bigger deal than it actually is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, uh, at least for me personally, I know that um, not knowing um, is oftentimes worse than uh, uh, knowing exactly what needs to happen. Absolutely. And I think so often, I think, I mean, I'm sure you guys would agree with this, like, especially at the very beginning of COVID, like how many people did you get questions about that were like of the exposure to the exposure question, right? Yeah. It was like, you're okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was like, it's all right. You know, and, but are you sure I can leave? Are you sure I can, my kick? I'm like, I feel like everybody's an exposure to an exposure at this point. Like, it's okay. Like we'd all be like locked down for a year and a half at this point, you know? And so, you know, that's where I think where it does help to kind of talk these situations out and people, I mean, thank goodness they're being cautious. You want them to be that way, but you know, it's, it's good to kind of sometimes just figure the scenario out a little bit and say, no, this person's okay to work. This person needs to stay home with that sick kid for that reason and whatnot. Um, it's not easy sometimes for sure. They can get, they can get complicated sometimes. Well, and, and Dr. Hankins, can, can you help? We had another conversation previously about how it's not always the same answer because the situations change and uh, the current outbreaks change and the severity of all of those things change. And in your experience, you know, with whether it be, you know, norovirus or anything else, you know, all of the ebbs and flows of how those things run through the community and the patients that you see. Yeah, I think the, the guidelines change as we're using COVID as an example of, of what we're doing in an outbreak situation. Uh, when we were first looking at exposures, we were talking about two weeks, and then two weeks turned into 10 days, and then 10 days could be seven days. Um, but it always depends on like, when did you have testing last? What, what sort of position, like, where do you work? Like, Mm -hmm. why are we trying to rush you back to work so quickly? Um, so yeah, I think there's so many different variables in that, um, that I think it really helps having people that do this all the time and look at all these regulations, um, are constantly looking at the guidelines, having them weigh in on this rather than trying to figure it out on the fly. I think it's also worth pointing out that, um, you know, I am guilty of this too. I'm sure Kate, Dr. Hankins, we're all guilty of this, right? Pre-COVID, we have been conditioned, you know, even if you're sick, you need to go to work, right? (laughs) I have to be, I have to be able to pay my bills. I need to Mm -hmm. be able to take care of my kids. And even if I have that runny nose, I'm going to put mm-hmm. a cotton roll up my nose with my mask on so it doesn't dribble and I'm going to work. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that is some conditioning that we need to work on just as a society and making sure that our employees know that it's okay. If you're sick, it's okay. You need yeah. to stay home and get better. So Sarah, this is a very interesting concept. And so the concept is called presenteeism. I don't know if, have y'all heard that term? Kate's <laughs> nodding her head, yes. Um, yeah. So we think of absenteeism. Well, this is the opposite. This is, I've, I'm compelled to go to work. Um, and this was something that 
they've actually there, there's a quite a bit of literature on presenteeism really from the influenza aspect of things like how much does presenteeism cause influenza to be a problem um and it's a huge problem and mm -hmm. so we look at like oh like what's for influenza and i'm just calling out influenza we have a a vaccine that is kind of effective but it's much better if people actually followed presenteeism and didn't show up if they feel sick mm -hmm. um that's 100 effective like if you don't go to work when you feel ill you're not passing that along whereas if you're like oh well i got my influenza vaccine i'm okay that's a problem I, think, I, I totally agree with what you're saying dr hankins and i think there's a couple important practical ways to address it um, and I say that like with the experience of kind of supervising a team. The first thing is, is yes, I have felt conditioned to that presenteeism issue my whole career. But I'll tell mm -hmm. you, never have I had a boss that said to me, I expect you to show up when you're not sick. Those are kind of internal pressures mm -hmm. that I think we just have to kind of like pluck that out and say that's an internal pressure. But as a leader in your facility, I think it's very important to call it out with your staff is not only do I not expect you to be here when you're sick, mm -hmm. I will be upset if you come here when you are sick. We can't yes, make our patients totally. sick. Yeah. And so I think that exactly. your shift leads, your leadership, um, mm -hmm. having kind of a, you know, a team approach to, um, we don't want people to work sick. And I think that there's also some practical strategies. Like when, you, when it's time to reschedule um, patients, whose accountability is that? I think like, let's, let's, be honest, you have to take into account that plan in any business. If you have somebody who can't show and you're having appointments all day, do you, is the receptionist kind of geared up that, okay, we can take this person out of duty and we can start rescheduling these appointments so that we have a plan? Because the last thing you want is that guilty feeling of, um, I'm letting the rest of the team down. I'm making everybody, if we have a plan, then this is an expected outcome. We have a plan when this happens because it will. The other part of it um, that we've talked a lot about um, when we've done assessments across the state is businesses should have a plan for paid time off that doesn't punish their workers, right? And so mm -hmm. this is really hard. And I, I saw it in Sarah's face and I see it in mine. <laughs> when you got kids who are sick and whatnot, there is a lot of pressure. Am I, am I well enough to go to work? Those kind of things. I need to pay my bills. And so um, we're learning a lot about that, I think, during COVID. And one of the interesting things that I've heard um, facilities talk about is the way you use your PTO bank. For example, um, maybe you don't have enough hours in your bank um, to pay this person. Will you allow their bank to go negative? Could you say, okay, this Sarah is going to be off for three days. She has only one day in her PTO bank. I can take her to negative. And as she earns back her PTO, she'll pay back her PTO bank, but we have a plan to pay her. And so I think having practical strategies mm -hmm. like that, that don't leave Sarah in the lurch, you know, because if you ask, you don't want this employee to come to sick, but if this employee feels compelled because they need to pay their bills, we need to have a solution, right? So those practical things, I think as business leaders, those things have to be addressed in real time now so that your employees have that safety net. Well, and, and Helen, earlier, I, I, you, you put it perfectly when you said, you know, what is the uh, legal requirements versus what are the mm -hmm. moral obligations? And, you know, in addition to that, there's also the, the potential for liability as well. Oh, sure. Um, and, it, you know, I looking at 
the potential for uh, healthcare providers to pass on uh, illnesses to mm -hmm. patients. Um, I know that you know some are very concerned with that. Uh, also, the uh, potential liability to a business of having one person out with an illness versus mm -hmm. half of their staff out <laughs> with an mm -hmm. illness that spread. Uh, you know, sure. that's a different kind of liability. Well, and you know, we always tell people because sometimes they'll ask and say like what is my responsibility? And sometimes I think responsibility is like a key word for like legal responsibility and like, you know, what am I liable for? And I always, I'm like, I'm not an attorney. Let's just put this out here. This is not legal advice, right? That's why and they like talking to you. <laughs> That's why we like talking to you. Huh? Well, I am not an attorney, but like, let's just think common sense here. Like, you know, as a patient that's been at your clinic, are, are they going to like that transparency? Yes, that sounds so much better that they heard that you had one case of COVID, two cases of COVID, it came, you know, but we were on it, we were working with the health department, we're following CDC protocols, we're doing this, like, we're closing the office to clean, we're doing all this stuff, and you're naming to them all these prevention measures that you're doing, that sounds great to me as a patient, like, and you know what? I, as like citizen out in the community, I have every potential of being exposed to COVID, just like that hygienist or that dentist or, you know what, but, oh my gosh, I'm sorry you got exposed and wow, you guys are doing so much versus, you know, you didn't tell me and I find out later and now I'm sick. My kids are sick. My husband is sick. My girlfriend's sick. And then it's like, well, I could have done something if y'all would have told me that's mm -hmm. when people tend to get a little edgy and then they start getting a little like, mm, I'm missing work. Now the kids are out of school. Like if you would have told me I could, you know, so I, that's where I'm always like, when I talk to people, I'm like, it's in your best interest, wink, wink to like be transparent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because this is how, like, I mean, we all know this, how communicable diseases spread and our job is to prevent them. And, you know, if you're making your best, honest, you know, tried and true effort to stop them, I think people can really pick up on that. And they know when you're being, you know, sincere and professional. And that comes through, I think. I agree. I think one of the other elephants in the room with this, that's really hard on facilities is it's one thing um, to restrict a worker from duty when they're ill. What do you do? And especially COVID is bringing this home because kids in school, et cetera. What do you do when a household member is ill and you have a person like a healthcare worker um, in that, you know, coming to your office? And so um, this is something that ICAP has kind of made recommendations, at least for mm -hmm. long term care, et cetera. And I thought it would be worthwhile to at least share some of those strategies here sure. of what what's the best practice. And what we know is that household exposures are um, almost always high-risk exposures. I mean, we just had COVID rip through my house because of my 10-year-old. And it's just, it's not really possible to um, quarantine yourself from a little kid. Mm -hmm. And so it is important. Nor should you at certain ages, exactly, right? Like, right? Please don't Thank ignore you. the kids. Thank like, you. please <laughs> care for them. <laughs> please care for the babies. Yeah. Um, and so when you have a household member who is sick, even vaccinated people, in a high risk job where you're, you know, breathing on people working right over their head, this would be a time where we would even consider holding back vaccinated people, or at least putting them on a strong testing plan. Right. And so, um, 
when we say that, uh, we would say test, you know, your worker before they come into work and at least every couple of days. And so in dental environments, I think, where would they get test supplies? I think that's an excellent thing. If you're listening on the program today, you know, COVID has been around a long time and those test supplies have kind of ebbed and flowed. Where in your community could you get a high quality PCR test and would it cost your healthcare workers? You know, we had a program in Nebraska that was very nice where they could go get this very high quality genetic test, a PCR test. It didn't cost them. Um, that's, do you have that in your community? Um, and if you don't have that, can you go to your physician's office to do it? Um, is that paid for by your practice? Um, can you use a rapid test card that you get at a CVS or a Walgreens? Um, so I think those are all really important things that COVID's going to be around for a lot longer. And we want these oh, yeah. businesses to be staying open. And so I think um, if you haven't already thought about a testing plan, how could you bring healthcare workers back to work, not infected, perhaps exposed, but test them regularly so that we know that they are not infectious to patients. Sure. And I think, I mean, and I don't want to seem like, you know, insensitive to communities that don't have as much testing available as we do in Douglas County, because clearly we, um, you know, you can go to multiple locations in Douglas County. And I know that's not always the case in, you know, smaller communities by any means. But I do think that, you know, if people can, you know, maybe have a, a little supply of point of care test, get some rapid tests if you can. And that way, you know, if let's say, um, you know, a, a staff member comes in and says, oh gosh, you know, my kid, like your, you know, the Kate, the scenario you just mentioned, you know, my child has COVID and, you know, they're maybe for your office, they are an essential worker and well, let's test you before you come in today. Um, you know, I'm not sure what you guys think about, you know, the future of COVID, but I, I'm thinking rapid tests are probably going to be around for a long time. I think they're probably, I mean, these testing, these stand-up testing sites are probably not going to be, I mean, they're expensive to have around, you know? Um, so the rapid tests are probably going to be around for a while, I'm guessing. And so to have those on hand and those scenarios, somebody just walks in the office and tells you that, you know, you it's nice to have something on hand just to test them. Right. And again, the PCRs, of course, are, you know, more reliable and stuff. But, you know, in that situation, if they're not having symptoms, you know. What to do. And I think that practical things like in a small office, who's the leadership person on the shift who could perform that test or who makes the call that morning when that person comes in of like, do we let this person work or not? Mm -hmm. I think letting those processes be somewhat transparent um, makes them much easier to comply with. I always say, make it easy for people to do the right thing and they're much more likely to do it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that having those test supplies would be very, very helpful. And uh, the open communication. Um, and if you, for example, in that situation, you have somebody with an ill child, et cetera, I think it's really important to talk about what if you get symptoms during the day? Mm -hmm. What's our well, best case, I mean, let's be honest, best case scenario, they're not working. Right. Best case I mean, scenario, they're not working. Best it's case scenario, same. they're not working. Right. Yes. Let's be honest. I mean, if there's a household contact, right, best case scenario is they're not working and they're not doing patient care. Agreed. That's the best case. Totally agree. And I think you made a very good point if it's an essential worker. Um, mm -hmm. This is a person who has to be here in the practice for us to be open. Um, can we put them in a situation where they're not doing patient care? Can they mm -hmm. do other things in the office? 
um, to keep us going. Um, but that situation, like let's, let's do an adequate screening of symptoms. Do we have a thermometer here? Um, do we know the list of symptoms to check? Who is signing off on that? And then what if this person feels ill during the day and they're essential? What happens? Are we going to close down? Do we have a plan for pulling everything back if this person becomes symptomatic um, during the day? I think those are very important things to have on the books and ready to go because this could happen to you tomorrow. Well, and it's so interesting. Like when you guys, you know, ask me about this podcast, you know, you think about just the work of, you know, a hygienist and a dentist, you know, when you think about, you know, social distancing, there's no social distancing, right? I mean, wow. Like you go to a, you know, you go to your doctor's office. I could get a good six feet away from my doctor and have a great visit and feel like, oh, wow, I, I had a great well visit and all this stuff. A dentist, they are like, right there. The hygienist is right there. I mean, I don't have a mask on. There's 15 minutes for sure. I mean, that's an exposure. That's a legitimate exposure. So, I mean, those are really, you know, that's why I'm saying like, if that person does not need to work, they should not be working because that really constitutes a for, you know, a definite exposure for that patient. Well said. So I want to, I want to go back and touch on something that you said, Kate, about the screening process. So I know, um, I've talked to quite a few offices recently who have just said, um, you know, we're not screening anymore. We don't screen our employees anymore. We're kind of over it. We don't, nobody remembers to do it when they get to work, whatever the case may be. Um, there and so when you say this, is this like question screening? Like, do you have symptoms? Is that sort of yeah, screening? yeah. Like, I show up to work. Nobody is asking. You know, do you have a runny nose? Do you have a headache? Have you been coughing? Like those sorts of things. Um, so I think it's important to call out that that screening process should still be happening with your employees every day. Right, and it does matter that we underscore the importance of it. Um, in other environments we're hearing, even if people are still screening, maybe people, their heart isn't in it anymore, but there's a reason we're screening, you know, like mm-hmm. you're setting up the expectation with your staff. We want to know if you've had an exposure outside of work. Mm-hmm. We want to know if you don't feel right today. Um, and I think that that's a really important general expectation to put in place and, and you know, let people know we have a plan for when that happens, because I think COVID is here to stay for a while. So better to be ready for those, um, you know, things that are probably going to happen in the future. And I think it's, it's important to, you know, when people say they're tired of COVID, I think it's important to say, yeah, gotcha. We all are, we're all done with it. Let's be honest. Right. Like if we could all end it tomorrow, we all would, of Mm -hmm. course we would. Um, Right there with you. We're all going on vacation. Right. Um, But I do think that the screening is important and it's, and not to like, um, try to guess like what your symptoms are like, Oh, I just have the sniffles because, or I just, Oh, I just got the flu shot. So that's why I'm feeling this way. And sometimes I think people do that or, Oh, my kids are sick. That's probably why I have this, you know, no, we can't take that chance when we're in like clinical care or, you know, and like we've got, you know, a long-term care outbreak that started like that because someone thought it was associated with their flu shot. So they didn't say anything. Well, lo and behold, now we've got, you know, resident cases happening. And so you got to be real careful with making assumptions about 
what your mild symptoms are. And especially that can happen with, I think, fully vaccinated people, right? If you're going to have a mild illness, it's easy to say, oh, I just don't feel that great today. Well, let's double check and get tested. Yeah. It's not going to hurt anything. It's just allergies. Yeah, allergies. <laughs> I've never rationalizing, had... right? It's rationalizing, yeah. not doing the right thing. And yeah. I think the point is so well made, um, Helen, that it is really important. And I tell people, you can be tired of COVID, just do it wearing a mask. And I think yeah. it's a great place to kind of underscore the idea that maybe you have mild illness with COVID because you're a healthy, you know, working age person. The person sitting in your chair... Mm-hmm might not have that luxury. You might be talking to a person who doesn't have a great immune system. You might be talking to just somebody who was unlucky and they end up with a very bad case of COVID. Um, you know, and the people- Or they're are not vaccinated. vaccinated. Or they're not vaccinated. And then we're vaccinated. really in trouble. Right. And mm-hmm. so I think that um, it is important to, you know, dental hygienists, dental assistants, dentists, you are considered a healthcare worker to people. And this is a doctor visit to them in some ways. And they will mimic your attitude. And so I think it's really important to, you know, educate people on the importance of why we do things um, to prevent COVID, et cetera, and to be a good example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I was thinking about when you got, we we're talking about the conversation about, um, you know, perfect attendance and all that stuff too. And I was thinking about how that starts so young in our society, schools, Right do we not give awards for perfect attendance? And I'm like, always thinking when kids, I'm like, don't even try. Don't get perfect. I don't want you to have perfect attendance because I don't think during a pandemic, anyone should, you shouldn't have perfect attendance, you know? And, you know, I'm sure you guys are the same way too, but you know, my kids, it's like, if you're a little bit below your baseline health, they know in my family they're getting tested. Sorry, but that's just the way we roll here. And that's just we're how all it's nodding happening. our heads. The listeners like, can hear that. We're all nodding our heads. Yeah. 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 Oh, the kids, they just know, right? We're we're rolling out to the drive-thru. Let's go. Yeah. Getting tested today. But and I think that's responsible. This is a worldwide pandemic. You know, nobody should be giving awards for perfect attendance, you know, because there's no way anyone has a hundred percent no illness those kids shouldn't be at school hundred percent. So that would be my spiel of like, if we want to stop this, you know, perfect anything, it starts at a young age that we try to tell, you know, even adolescents and school age children, perfect attendance at school. Here's a candy bar or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think Kate was right on the nose when she said earlier, it starts from like the top, like it's the leadership mm-hmm. that really sets the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've seen this when I'm leading an inpatient infectious disease service and I have fellows and residents and students. And I mean, I, it seems like the younger you are, the more compelled you feel like you have to show up. And so it's the students that are the ones that are like, I have to be there. I have to like show that I'm being a good <laughs> student. Um, and so I feel like it's important for my job to tell them if you feel ill, please don't come. Mm-hmm. You're you're a detriment to the team if you show up ill because you're just walking around spreading it to everyone in the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it, I, it makes it that much worse in a in a lot of small private practices where you only have one doctor, one assistant, and one hygienist. So mm-hmm. you know, if somebody is ill and they're out, that's your whole day. Mm-hmm. So, I think it's 
like any emergency preparedness, I think these are the things that you just, it pays money now to plan for those things. What will we do when? What is our backup plan? Yeah. We have to plan for those untoward events um, so that we can, can we stay open if we try something like this? Um, it's, it's worth planning for. And I know it, it's not easy. That's why lots of organizations talk about the importance of emergency planning. Sure. Like you could say, you know, like is, you know, you could call the patients and say, is that all right if you have just a hygienist appointment today and you're not seen by the dentist or vice versa, you know, or, you know, maybe you don't have to cancel all your appointments that day because you're short staffed, but maybe half of them. Um, maybe the ones that, you know, they missed their last, you know, six month appointment, but keep, you know, you're, you know what I'm saying? So you're not missing everybody that, oh, they were here six months ago. They can skip this one. You know what I mean? Or they can go back another week or something, but, you know, and keep, maybe you're going to keep emergency appointments open for the dentist or, you know, the hygienist to see people, or maybe you get with another partner in the community so that when these situations happen, you're like, Hey, we have a partner dentist that when our office, our office might need to close. All of us are, are exposed. You know what? Do you care that if you to be seen, you can't wait till next week or 10 days out? Would you like to see our partner in the meantime that we've partnered with in the community? You know, these, you know, things of thinking ahead, they can really go a long way and your patients appreciate them. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. Yeah. It's always the, uh, the old slogan, right? The uh, a failure to plan is planning to fail. Yeah. <laughs> Says the project manager. <laughs> You're showing your stripes, Dan. <laughs> so, Helen, you've been really, really helpful to have with us today. And I appreciate so much that you've talked about really practical strategies um, for smaller businesses to be successful. So, thank you for joining us. And maybe we can call you up again in the future because we really enjoyed having you here today. This was fun. Thanks. Thanks for the conversation. This was great. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Excellent. Thanks for joining another episode of the Mouthy IP. We look forward to seeing you all virtually next week. Thank you for spending time with us learning about infection prevention and control in the dental setting. If you have questions you would like the team to chat about, feel free to call our ICAP infection control hotline at 402 552 2881 or visit our website at icap.nebraskamed.com. Look for our next Mouthy IP podcast episode and don't forget to stay chatty about infection control in your office.